If you'd turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, we'll be picking up in verse 13. And a study that I've entitled, The Woes of a Worry Ward. Now, I know there's no one in here who ever worries about financial things. Never gets concerned about maybe where the groceries are coming from or where that next house payment might be coming from or the basicness. I know there's no one in here who's ever done that. I would say that probably most of us in here at times have been 10th degree Jedi masters of the anxious mind. Amen? Maybe your brains were slightly scrambled even this morning about some of these things. As I was preparing this message, I must confess to you that I had one of those weeks to where this wasn't the core of what I was dealing with personally, but it was definitely the background. Because I think behind this, you'll notice the word therefore, in verse 22. And as you look at that verse, it pertains to what's already been said. As I've shared with you frequently and often, when you see the word therefore, you need to look and see what it's there for. It's the easiest way to understand what that word means. It refers to something that's previously been stated or said. Jesus just finished this treatise, if you will, on materialism, on on having a heart after stuff and things and what it can do to you. And then he goes on to talk about the anxious mind, worry, about the necessities of life. And would you please draw from the very inception this day, from word one, that he's talking about the necessities of life. He is not talking about what we think are the necessities of life. He's talking about the real necessities of life, the things that you truly need. Have you ever done this exercise of thinking about the things in your life and categorizing them mentally or maybe even writing them down? The things that you actually need? Ladies, I hate to tell you this, nobody needs 50 pairs of shoes. Gentlemen, I hate to tell you this, nobody needs 50 pocket knives. We have so much in this country, as I shared with you last week, that the poor among us are more wealthy than 84% of the entire world's population. And that the basically doing okay folks among us, not the wealthy, the near the bottom of the middle class folks among us are doing better than 99% of the entire world. So 
So I think this passage is important to us as Americans. Because I believe that we very frequently and often confuse needs and wants. And because of it, we worry about things that do not matter. Does that mean that it's wrong to think about having a new car or a boat or a bigger house? Not necessarily. But when it brings us to the place of an anxious, storm-tossed mind, it is problematic. And so this morning, are you a worry ward? Now, you all know I happen to love the sport of basketball. I'm enjoying currently the finals for the two divisions. But a coach that I've long admired was the former coach at Utah, University of Utah, there in Provo, Rick Majerus. He died in 2012. This is a great coach, just one of those guys that always managed to bring together a scrappy team and somehow made them competitive no matter what they did or did not have. Just a great coach. Right before he died, he said this. He was being interviewed on ESPN. And he said, everyone is worried about the economy this year. He said, hey, look, my, my, bank, of, my bank account is in deflation. My hairline is in recession. My waistline is in inflation. And if you put those things together, I'm in a depression. It's about that simple at times for us, isn't it? Isn't it strange how seemingly meaningless things, in the grand scheme of things, add up to these huge issues in our lives? How we can obsess over the silliest of things. And we certainly saw that in our last passage from last Sunday. If you weren't here, get the CD. It's in the back. It's available. Listen online. It's there. But when you think about it, here's a man who is blessed. Blessed abundantly. That's where we started last time. A man who had more than he needed. Amen? And yet, he was freaking out over his inheritance. And what he would do with the things that he didn't even have yet. Well, I'll build bigger barns. And so in light of that, is Jesus saying it's wrong to think about the things of life, the business of life? Of course he's not saying that. But what he is saying is, at the end of the day, our faith, our hope, and our trust as believers in Christ Jesus, as Lord... God, the Father, as Jehovah Jireh, the provider God, should overwhelm the concerns that we have about the things that we possess on this earth. In other words, he's really saying, guys, do you have enough faith to believe that I'm good? And that I have these things fully under control? He's talking about worry when there's no cause for alarm. And so this morning, pick up now, if you would, with me in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, 
Notice the therefore. Do not worry about your life. Why would he say that? Do you remember what the disciples were doing when Jesus called them? They were earning a living. They were busy at the things that they were doing to make sure their families were taken care of. Fishing, tax collecting, doing the things that they knew how to do. And Jesus called them as disciples. And they forsook all to follow him. They picked up their cross and followed the Lord. So upon hearing this story of this rich fool, the disciples may well have been saying to themselves, well, what about me? What have I, I got a pair of sandals and a tunic. I'm not doing so hot right now. If it weren't for you dividing some loaves and fishes, I'd probably be a little bit hungry. You see, they had reason to worry. They had reason to occupy their mind with the things of life. It wasn't unfair, it wasn't unjust, it wasn't uncalled for. We all have things in our lives that are reasonable and rational that we think on. The question is, do we allow them to fully consume us to the point that we stop trusting God? There's the rub. And so he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Not if you watch TV, amen? Absolutely, that is not what TV's TV. It's all about food. It's all about clothing. It's all about makeup. It's all about staying young. It's all about the next car, the bigger house, the nicer furniture. It's all about stuff. That's what the world says today. Matter of fact, you can't even be happy anymore unless you recognize your need for stuff. You're not fulfilled. That's being shouted from our our world right now. You need this and you need that. We were in Sam's Club on Friday. And, and, And I like to walk, you know, through the home electronics section. And I'm looking at these TVs and I'm going, my goodness gracious, who has a wall big enough to put that TV on there? Then you walk down to the other end of the store where all the food is, and you're you're looking at this unbelievable array of goodness. And I was listening, and and you know, I'm not trying to bag on anybody, but I got a problem. I, I seriously have a problem with all the people who walk in there and they're blocking the aisles because they're sitting there eating all the free food. I'm just admitting it, I got an issue. And there they are, they're just like chowing down, then they come back and, you know, you look at their cart and they're going, my goodness, I didn't know that came in a 164 pack. You can't buy anything that can be consumed by humans. I mean, I, it's like, who needs five gallons of salsa? And yet we have this concept that more is better somehow. Amen? 
And I say to you, I'm not sure that's true. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure it's actually not true. Life is more than food, and I want to just finish this passage as we move on. And the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, and which have neither a storehouse nor a barn. Now you see where it ties back in. He said, I don't even need one. And God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Or, and which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit, 18 inches to your stature? You know, if you were born you know, vertically challenged, worrying about it isn't going to make you taller, amen? What are you saying? And he says, And if you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if God then so clothes the grass which is in the field, and then tomorrow is thrown into the oven, and by the way, that was the poor man's firewood. That was the junk that people went and gleaned out of the field. If they had nothing, they went and got grass. If you've ever watched grass burn, you better have a big pile of grass if you're going to do much with it. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Do you, do you see the correlation here between the last portion of this chapter and this one? What are you worrying about? I just gave you a parable about these brothers who are demanding one share his inheritance with the other, and they're arguing over who's going to get what from whom. Oh, ye of little faith. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. That word anxious means wind-driven or storm-tossed. Have you ever gone out and tried to fix something in the middle of a windstorm that should have been taken care of before the wind came? Does it ever work out very well? Uh-uh. Grab that banner or maybe you have, you know, like, like we have. We had to fetch Lee and Billy's cover over their gazebo off their roof because we kind of forgot to tie that down beforehand. You can't do that in a windstorm, Amen. Why? Because you got to fight it. It's a fight. It's not going to be easy, if at all even possible. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. Now, can I remind you of who you are? You are the beloved of God. You are His Special, chosen possession. The nations of the world don't know Him yet, largely. And yet He takes care of them. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God first. And all of these things shall be added unto you. And do not fear, little flock, 
For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have, give alms, provide yourselves money bags, which do not grow old, and a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief can approach nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Powerful passage before us this morning. The disciples had given up everything. And I would say to you this morning, and it's something the Lord's just been instructing me on, worry is the most useless of all human emotions. It absolutely accomplishes nothing good, fixes nothing, and yet, isn't it weird how it affects everything? When, you have, when you're obsessing, when you're overly concerned about things that you neither can change nor really do anything about, nor, nor can they really ever make you happy, and you obsess over it, isn't it weird how good things all of a sudden become bad? And I'm guilty of this at times. I kind of poo-poo the things that I have looking for the things I don't. I know no one else does that, but just sharing with you, isn't it strange how we do that? We go out in the process of, of looking at the, you know, the dent in our... How many of you have ever bought a car and within one month it's got a dent in it from somebody and you didn't... Yeah, doesn't that, that drive you crazy? And you go out there and you think you want to get rid of the car because it's now damaged. It's bizarre how our heads work. And all of a sudden, well, it's no longer new, you know. Can I remind you that most of the world doesn't even own vehicles? don't even own them. They don't have them. Much less two or three or four or five of them. They don't have one. Oh, I can't believe I have to drive that again. We have a little secret in the Gill family. We keep old cars, and then if you just change every once in a while, you think you got a new one. So just drive the other car. And then you go back and drive. Hey, this is actually pretty nice. And you go back to the other one. I know it's kind of like self-deception, but it works. It's like somehow I think the old car is now a new car because I didn't drive that one last week. I drive the other one. I'm starting to actually like dents in it because now I don't care. So what? We drive it off-road. Nobody will be able to damage it. Dr. George McCalson was one of the greatest directors that the YMC ever had. Some years ago, while he was serving in the Y in Pennsylvania, uh, this the the place where he was 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 under tremendous financial pressure, and he just took it upon himself. He was just worried about the survival of the Y there in his hometown, and he was getting totally depressed about it and lost. You know, he just wasn't sleeping, and and he went in finally to see a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said, "Man, you got to stop worrying because you're you're about to have a nervous breakdown." And he did something very strange, something I myself have done. And he took off into the woods one afternoon with a pad and a paper and started making some notes to himself, writing down the things that he was thankful for, the things that God had done in his life. He, he marked down those wondrous things that the Lord had already accomplished through his life. And he started to cry and sat down underneath the tree and for the first time in months, he was actually free of all that stuff. He decided to write God a letter, and it was very short. 
It said in one line, Dear God, today I hereby resign as the general manager of the universe. Love, George. (laughs) He would later remark about that as he shared it with other people as a way of a testimony. And he says, Wonder of wonders, God accepted my resignation. (laughs) That's us, isn't it? You know, you, you, you sit here and we worry so very often. And quite frankly, it's very simply for us many times a lack of faith. It, it's tough to trust God with things that we can touch. It's easier to t- trust God, I think, with things that we don't actually hold in our hands. That's why money is such an indicator, possessions is such an indicator of where our hearts are at. Because when you got a death grip on those things, it really does come down to not trusting God. Hard to, it's hard to think on sometimes, but it's the absolute truth. It comes down to not trusting God. Because you either think He won't give you anything else, so you gotta hang on to what you have, or you think perhaps, you know, you'll, you'll somehow need this later, and so God doesn't have your future in mind. You think maybe in the presence you know how to do better than God. And so it does boil down to faith. And so let's look a little bit at this problem as we digest this passage a little bit more. When you come back to the disciples, remember the Lord had warned them about the cares of the world. He told them all these things already. And and yet our lives are largely made up of earning a living. Uh, That's a fact, amen? Most of us spend at least a third of our time on a daily basis, some of us more than half, doing what we think is taking care of the needs of life. Can I remind you at the end of the day, God's still taking care of your life even though you're out taking care of a job. And, And if you don't believe that, just talk to someone who in the prime of their life has gotten cancer. And God still takes care of them. Talk to someone who's lost a job and God still takes care of them. Talk to someone who doesn't have a job and God still takes care of them. When we trust Him. And frankly, the Lord knows exactly how to live in this world. Remember where He lived. This world. Jesus was a man. Jesus knew Absolutely everything about living in this world. And so he says, don't be anxious, because life is more than food or drink. And that would have been a huge temptation then, because it was literally a matter of life or death. There have been a number of studies, and I've never seen one that agreed with another, but I can tell you this, most frequently, sometimes, sometime in the general vicinity of about 30 days is the number that has come up with, the average American household, if they went and bought no groceries at all, could live on what they have in their house right now today for 30 days. Some as much as 120. I've seen some studies that were more like several months on what you have in your house today. I guarantee you that the Gill household could live at least a month and a half on what we have in the house right now. At least. At least. There's only two of us there now. So the boxes of macaroni and cheese go further. (laughs) 
And frankly, we need less calories now anyways. Might be a good thing. You might be saying to yourself, yeah, that's great for you, but you know, we got to eat. You don't know our situation. Let me dramatize this for you a little bit. I'll take the place of Jesus. You know, on one occasion, I didn't eat for nearly six weeks. Satan came and put me to the test and suggested that I perform a miracle and turn these stones over here into bread. And I told him not to tempt God, that I trusted God, my Father. And in fact, it was his will for me to be hungry. He wanted me to trust him more than ever. And so he let my father let me go hungry. And yet I was right in the center of his will. Dead in the center of his will. In fact, it would have been better if I had died from hunger than be out of the middle of his will. And just so you know, I triumphed over that. The hunger was real, but more importantly, my father was absolutely dependable. He's never let me down, and he never will let me down. That's why Jesus said in verse 24, consider the ravens. Have you ever noticed how well-fed ravens look? you ever seen a skinny raven? There's no such thing as a skinny raven. They all look like they need to go to raven weight watchers. They've got like the pot bellies on them, and when they walk, they kind of waddle like ducks. And yet all they do is scavenge and trash. They go clean up the roadkill. And yet you look at them and they're pretty well fed. Charles Spurgeon told a story in his book, Lectures to My Students. And he prefaced this with this, and I've changed it a little bit to fit our times because he wrote this more than a hundred years ago. But I can tell you this, there's not a single billionaire on the face of the earth that could feed the ravens on this planet for one day if he had to buy the food for them. Not one. There's not a billionaire on the planet that could just feed the ravens. Now think of the rest of the animals that aren't waiting in a soup line someplace, okay? They're not down at some office of the federal government waiting for a handout to feed them. God takes care of them. So if God can do that, don't you think He can take care of us? The Lord knows the world that we live in. Let's take a look at the situation here. A real look at it. An honest look at the situation. You know what? No one's got the ability to change your stature. You just don't. That's the reality of it. And if you consider the wonders of that statement, because no one has the ability to change their particular situation much, if any, then God must have everybody's situation in control. Otherwise, he's a liar. Amen? Let's look at the real situation. God does actually have it under control. 
So the question becomes, do we trust God with having it under control? And I think that's where some of us struggle. I really don't trust God. We do need clothes and we do need a roof over our head. But when you go through your closet, I guarantee you there's not a person in this building that doesn't probably have five to ten times as many clothes as they really need. Guarantee it. I don't even think it's debatable. There may be somebody. But is it in a general sense? Because I've traveled around some of the poorest parts of the world. People with one shirt, one, no underwear whatsoever, one pair of shorts, two unmatched shoes, or none at all. So when you talk about need, need is actually what you need to have to stay alive. It's not what you think you need to have so everyone else will think you're hip. You're in with the times. Or here in our country, that you're not poor. Isn't it strange how many times we, we get more dressed up to go to the store than people do to go to dinner in other parts of the world. How about the wonders of botany? Let's look at the next one here. You ever seen a groaning flower? I can't believe I gotta wear this. I don't know how many of you have wandered through a high Sierra meadow in the spring. It's staggeringly beautiful. Mind-bogglingly so. And yet, there was no landscape crew that came in and dressed it up before you got there. Nobody came in and said, boy, you know, I'd like to put some Indian paintbrush over here, and I'd like to have some of these... Sierra orchids over here, any snowflowers over there. Nobody does that. God does that. Most of us appreciate art. You realize the paintings that God does every day and just the clouds in the sky and the various hues of light as we watch our sunsets out over the Pacific? You get the point. Even Solomon in all of his glory. And he was the richest man that's probably ever lived on the planet Earth. And yet in all of his glory, in everything that he could buy, in all that he possessed, he was not arrayed like the flowers of the field. Does worry somehow put food on our table? Mm, I think not. It rarely accomplishes much. But I can tell you there's been an awful lot of people because we see them every single week here in this church. Come in with those kind of concerns. Fretting, worry. And we're happy to be able to help meet those immediate needs. But the worry doesn't fix the problem. In fact, it hinders an awful lot of people from doing the very things that God would do in their life so that they would be taken care of. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. And as I shared with you, it's, it's this picture of the contrary winds. 
remember when we had a sailboat in Oceanside Harbor down in San Diego County, the wind almost always blew offshore in the afternoon in San Diego. That means that the wind was coming from the shore out towards the sea. And the harbor mouth was directly in the middle of the harbor. It was also directly in the middle of whatever swell there was. So when you came into the harbor, the swell was rolling into the harbor mouth, and the wind was blowing against you. Unless you're a good sailor, it's real tough to go against the wind. You can't fight it, you got to go with it. You got to know how far to tack the ship one side or the other of the channel so that you can make the run in. It's what God's saying to us. When your mind is anxious, it's tossed. Every wind is a contrary wind. Everything is a problem. You ever notice how worry builds more worry? And you start to worry about one thing and all of a sudden you're worried about everything else? That's why you're not to have an anxious mind. God already knows absolutely every need in your life. All these things the nations of the world seek after, His Word says. He knows you need these things. Putting God first is a way to have what we need. This whole discussion actually began with things. The things that man thinks he needs. And I think very often it's simply that we have misprioritized needs and wants. Paul learned this lesson in Philippians 4 and said, he said, I've learned how to abound in all things. I've learned how to be broke and I've learned how to prosper. And I'm paraphrasing. I've learned how to have nothing, and I've learned how to have everything. And then he says in verse 19 of chapter 4 of the book of Philippians, My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul knew that. You see, God has a a heavenly program. You see, we get get hung up on the stuff, the junk. We, We get hung up on the things, and we forget the one who owns all the things. And then we end up having problems. And so he says to us, why don't you get focused in on heaven? Can, can you see it? God's program is we are feeble. We, we kind of, you know, we need some help occasionally. Amen? Anybody that's lived on the earth for very long realizes there's a lot of stuff out of our control. Amen? Their stuff just happens to us. You don't set out to lose your job. You don't set out to end up in some financial difficulty. You don't set out to have problems in life. It's not your conscious effort to do so. We're pretty feeble when it comes right down to it. But God's program is to take care of that. And so he gives us this giant of a verse here in verse 32. Do not fear, little flock. Don't fear, feeble ones. I know you're no match for the world, is what he's saying. But it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You realize that God loves you that much? That it's His good pleasure? It's His delight to give you what you need? It's a monumental text. You have a good shepherd. I have a good shepherd who loves to give good gifts to his kids. He doesn't withhold what we need. Sometimes we go a little longer than we'd like to looking for it. Amen? 
But he doesn't withhold it. You want to take a guess on the number of people that have that we can identify as possibly having starved to death here in the United States in the last year? Anybody want to guess? 47. That's it. Out of 300, nearly 50 million people that we can identify as this person died from the effects of starvation. Can I also say to you that more than half of those people were lost somewhere? They weren't at home. They weren't even on the streets of a major city and died of starvation. So when you talk about needs, God's pretty good at meeting our needs. He is, in fact, a fabulous Father. He knows what's best, He knows how to give us those things. We're His favored ones, and because of that, we have a fantastic future. Amen? His kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you just have a simple command here. Sell what you have. And again, this was in the context of that day, the dispensation of that time. It doesn't mean that you need to go sell everything that you have and try and live communally. I would remind you that has not worked since that time at all. Matter of fact, it didn't even work through the time that the apostles were alive in that sense. He was talking to the disciples. He said, hey, you guys are fine. I can take care of you. You look at the mendicant fathers from the Middle Ages. Those guys lived in poverty and all kinds of, and just got them problems. They ended up being horrible business people, drunks. So God does have it in control. The question is, where are you storing up your treasure? Are you concerned about here? Or are you concerned about there? Are you concerned about earth? Or are you concerned about heaven? You, you see, that's the future. We have to live for the right world. So many of us live for the wrong world. We're living for the here and now and not the hereafter. And again, don't take this too far. I'm not trying to tell you that you need to go sell everything that you have and live underneath a tree somewhere. I don't believe Scripture supports that. But I am saying, and I believe Scripture absolutely says, that your focus needs to be on heaven and not on earth. And if you do that, then the stuff that you have on earth has the right priority. The stuff that's in your care, that you are a steward over, that I am a steward over, has the right place. And so Jesus simply ends with a command, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be also. And if your heart's in heaven, what's going to mess with that? Amen? I mean, you're really going to have problems living a heavenly life while you're here on earth? I don't think so. The problems that we have is because we try and live a worldly life on this worldly earth. Then we have problems. So the recipe for getting rid of worry, store up your treasure in heaven. Amen.